What is going on? What is going on? And welcome into yet another edition of Open Run. I'm your host, Gabriel Wilkins, coming to you once again at the onset of yet another week to talk about all basketball-related affairs and news with my running mate beside me, as always, Josh Hicks. We only just a few days away from all of the all-star festivities, bro. How you been doing? Been good. Um, obviously, you know, staying on the grind and looking forward to a, a interesting All-Star weekend, especially since, you know, we just got done with the Super Bowl. Yeah, I know. And I, I can only imagine how many people was calling off of work and whatnot because of that Super Bowl. I was people one of them. Turn up. I, I, I figured that. I, I, I know a lot of people who was doing that, man. <laughs> I, I definitely know a lot of people who was doing that one for sure. But in this week's installment of Open Run, Josh and I will take out the time to discuss the recent accomplishment and legacy of LeBron James, who surpassed the iconic big man, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, atop the NBA's all-time scoring list this past week, including the official debut of Kyrie Irving with the Mavs and how Dallas has fared thus far beside him and his fellow all-star guard Luka Doncic among all the festivities getting set to take place during NBA all-star weekend coming up in a few days and so much more but before we get into all of that let's take out some time as we always do to show gratitude and love to the players teams and coaches across the basketball world on all levels as a part of our hoop shoutouts portion of the show here on open run special kudos go out to la clippers all-star forward paul george for surpassing the 16,000 point mark in his career as the man who just earned his eighth all-star nod at the top of february is now just one of only 10 active players in the association with at least 16,000 career points or more in addition to northwestern men's basketball program who recently knocked off Number one ranked Purdue to cap off last weekend at Welsh Ryan Arena in a Big Ten contest, marking the first time ever in program history the Wildcats have taken down the number one ranked team in the nation as Chris Collins is on pace to guide Northwestern to the NCAA tournament for just the second time in school history. And last but not least, Simeon head coach Robert Smith, who just managed to win his seventh city championship in Chicago by helping the Wolverines find a way to escape a late rally in the final minutes, excuse me, of regulation from Kenwood and pull out a hard-fought victory during the overtime minutes of the public league finals led by the Rubin brothers, Wes and Miles, in a contest that went down on the campus of UIC at the top of last weekend. Smith squad is currently in the process of getting prepared and ready to try and send the legendary coach off right in his last hurrah with another state title prior to hanging it up come season's end in the Class 3A playoffs here in Illinois. So with all of that said, what are some of the top storylines, moves, or on-the-court matters that caught your eye the most this time around prior to us talking about all of the latest and greatest current events that have taken place over the last several days, y'all. I'm going to give a shout-out to Nikola Jokic, the only player right now to play with 1,000 points, 500-plus 500, uh, 500 rebounds, and 500-plus assists in a season. Yeah, I saw that. Good Lord. 
<laughs> like <laughs> that's incredible for him to do, especially since he is a center. He's a point center. So for him to accomplish that, you know, with the skill, it just really emphasizes the skill set that he has. And the fact that no one else supposedly even close to a thousand point four hundred plus rebound or 400 plus assist season either he's literally literally stands alone and that is that's incredible to acknowledge and incredible to witness man i i know we always talk about how joel and b gets you know doesn't get the love he deserves that battle of the big man spot which is rightfully so and very true at the same time how can you i mean how, how can you not acknowledge what Jokic has done especially in this last three year span man back-to-back MVPs performing at a high level and now pulling this off after he just won a you know his second back to you know back-to-back MVPs man it's just a you know hey gotta get credit where it's due and I, I want to make sure we highlight him and acknowledge him for that because that is something that considering no one else is even close to that for this season and we only just slightly over halfway through the season hasn't haven't even hit all-star weekend yet that's incredible man it's incredible yeah, I, I have to tip my cap to the joke on that as well. You you can't help but do that. And when you think about all the moves that happened during the trade deadline, you see so many of these second round picks getting tossed alongside the road to other teams. And when I was seeing that, the first person I thought of, honest to God, was Nikola Jokic, who mm. was a second round draft pick coming from Serbia. And yep. to see everything that he's managed to do as a second round draft pick in the league, it goes to show you that if you do your homework as a scouting department and as a, as a front office, you can find talent no matter what round or pick you're selecting in. And Nikola Jokic, in my opinion, as much as you know, I talk about Joel Embiid and I, I hype him up, and, and I have nothing but respect for Nikola Jokic, but he he you can make an argument that he is the greatest second round draft pick of all time with his current resume as it currently stands. I don't know if he's a top five center all time. That's a debate for another day. But when you look at what he's been able to accomplish as a second round draft pick, you never know what value you can find in those rounds if you do your homework. And Denver definitely has. And it wasn't easy either because he had Yusuf Nurkic, who he was backing up yeah, coming into the league. And it was a debate in the Rocky Mountains. Which big should we go with? Should it be Nurkic that we build our team around or Jokic? I think it's safe to say several years later that the Denver Nuggets made the right decision. And because of it, they find themselves not only atop of the Western Conference right now with the best record in the West, but with a shot if things continue to go the way that they have been going for them to vie for their first ever NBA finals and Larry O'Brien trophy, which would be a big deal when you consider the fact that that's a small market franchise. But for me, the things that caught my eye the most with it being black history month, I took out the time to watch some documentaries. And one of the documentaries that I took out a chance to watch uh, or some time to watch rather was Stan. I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah, the Showtime documentary. Yeah. Starring Mahmoud abdul Raouf chronicling his rise and unfortunate fall due to his refusal to stand for the national anthem in a sign of protest 
and also for calling a U.S. flag a sign of oppression in the mid-1990s. And I was familiar with the story through various people, but when I saw everything that was transpired in the bubble, players kneeling and so forth, I felt like that was the time in which his story really needed to be told. And right. I'm glad that he finally had a chance to have his moment in the sun, because in my opinion, after watching that documentary and seeing some of the things this guy had to go through in an era that was before social media, he, he deserved an apology. And mm -hmm. he still does. And you, you look at the platforms that NBA players are standing on when it comes to social justice and so forth like that, they wouldn't be able to do it without guys like Mahmoud Abdul-Rood, who literally sacrificed his career in order to make that happen. And we look at so many guys that have come across sports after him, such as Colin Kaepernick and such. But this dude wasn't, didn't really have no fanfare. He didn't have nobody to back him. And it showed. And I just was impressed with the storytelling of it and just getting to learn more about his story and just seeing his game. You know, you hear stories about it, but like you can't help but imagine how he would fare in today's era where he would have a green light to pull up from 30 plus. Yeah. And I can see why Phil Jackson, when Steph Curry was making his extension up the league on his way to back to back MVPs in 2015 to 2016, was saying that Steph is the closest thing that he's seen to a player since Mahmoud Abdul Raouf. Yeah. It, it, it makes sense now when you watch that documentary. And plus, I got a chance to watch another one. It was a two-part documentary on Netflix on Bill Russell called Legend. Yeah, that was a special documentary as well. Just getting a chance to see, you know, the life and times through the lens of the former Celtics great who passed away last summer mm -hmm. and is the reason why you see these players with the number six decal on their jersey, and you see that number six decal all across NBA arenas everywhere this season is that number will be retired by the league, league-wide, and only players that are currently wearing it that have been grandfathered in can keep that number. So it, it was fascinating just to, to, to listen to his story and to see how, in spite of all the great things he did, for a Boston Celtics franchise, putting that franchise on the map, how he had to go through so much living in his neighborhood, a predominantly white neighborhood, and the treatment that him and his family had to endure. You know, you hear some of these things from some of your family members, and it sounds too good to be true when you're a kid coming up, when you don't know anything about the history of the game and you're trying to learn it, and you're just trying to learn about these figures who you never had the chance to watch play. But when you really take out the time and watch that documentary and you see the work that he was doing for civil rights and not trying to have fanfare about it, being a, a, a pure activist, not seeking any reward for it. I, I give kudos to people like that. I give a, a ton of kudos to people like that. Just talking about how when he was at the March on Washington with Dr. King and stuff like that, how he had a chance to be on stage. He's like, I didn't feel right being on stage because I didn't do the groundwork for this. They had planned this two years in advance. I wasn't a part of that. I watched it in the front row, you know, with, with the rest of the crowd in the, in the public. 
that 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 says a lot about the leader that he was in 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 during his time and course of life, which was for eighty eight years. And you don't find too many people like that in the modern day era, who are authentic and they stand up for what they believe in. And I just want to give those guys some love. And last but not least, as far as the on the court stuff, the reigning Eastern Conference Player of the Week. Speaking of Celtics, Derek White mm-hmm. in Boston has been playing out of his mind lately, averaging nearly 25, 8-5, and five, led the Celtics to a 4-0 record last week. He's shooting a career-best 39% from beyond the arc. And what I like about his game, Josh, right now is that he's getting it done on the ball or off the ball, be it yeah. as a catch-and-shooter, be it as a cutter, you know, setting up guys off driving kicks, if not going inside the lane, getting the easy deuce. And it couldn't have come at a better time for the Celtics when you think about Marcus Smart going down with an ankle injury and White having to step into the starting lineup. And he's always been a superb defender dating back to his days in San Antonio. But it seems like he's putting his game all together and he's looking like the Boston with Fred Van Vliet was to Toronto during those championship years when they were competing for titles alongside of DeMar DeRozan, and then when they eventually cracked through with Kawhi Leonard. And they needed every bit of it, with Smart being down, as well as Jalen Brown these last couple of games due to suffering a, a facial injury, I believe, last week. Yeah. So I, I, I like what I'm seeing from him a lot and putting up like 30, 10, and, and, and three against the Hornets. You just got to tip your cap to guys like that who stay ready. And it just goes to show you how much depth this Boston squad currently has that when they lose a vital part or they start at five, one can step in and be immediately plugged in to rise to the occasion like Derek White has been doing. No, most definitely, man. Uh, Boston is, this is scary hours for people that are out there watching the team right now because they haven't, like you said, they haven't missed a beat. And they've been playing like, you know, it's it's just, this is what they do. They have they play right within their identity. He plugs right in and does what he's supposed to do, steps up the way that they need to step up. And next thing you know, they're still winning games like it unhappened. So it's it's for those Eastern Conference teams and league wide in general, you know, he's 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 well acquainted with the team now since he was acquired uh last year in the trade deadline. And um he he's definitely doing Definitely doing his thing, and the team in general is, do, is still continuing to do their thing, which is special. But I got to briefly talk about that that stand documentary, man. It was powerful. Yeah, um, it was very powerful. And I think, outside of the fact that you know, you know, he he got a, he finally got his moment to shine and really spell, tell his side of the story, which not a lot of people really even understand. Mm-hmm. Um, I think two two things popped in my mind when I watched it. One, how amazing it is to have Steph Curry in that documentary talking about pretty much and acknowledging he kind of paved the way for me to be who I am now, which is something that you don't really hear with the Steve, with the Steph Curry narrative. Cause all you hear about is Steph Curry changed the game. Right. And roughly so he did change the game, but there is a pre there's a precursor that led to that. And that person had to be blackballed out of the league. So Steph could shine. Like if you really think about that, that's crazy to think about someone had to be blackballed out of the league just so another person can come in and take that role in which if which is honestly in a lot of ways a man before his time he was a man before his time yeah 
And it's in the fact that Steph is doing what he was originally doing of a blueprint perspective at that time and a more controlled offense where there's actually a lot more defense, et cetera. Yeah, you can only imagine what he would be, how he'd be playing right now in this era. That's very it's that could be a Mamad Abdul a, a, a roof right there instead of Steph Curry. And that's something that you know we have to be mindful and acknowledge that he really did pave a way for Steph Curry to, you know, be who he is. And the fact that he acknowledged that in the documentary itself shows the respect that they have for each other. And ultimately the respect we really should be given to Mamad Abdul Roof, not just for his activism, but what he really played like his play style on the court. Cause it's something at that time that was never seen. And we had like half the time it wasn't ever seen. We become desensitized to it. If you want to be honest with you, because it's so normal to us. Yeah. That was actually, that was more abnormal during that time when all this took down prior to the Steph Curry's that come along now. So I thought that was special that they were able to bridge that and acknowledge that. But I also got, came up with a thought of, okay, when, when are we going to get Craig Hodges? Because Craig Hodges was another person who was blackballed out of the league for similar beliefs and for acknowledging those similar beliefs. He, and, his, and his was done on a different type of level. It wasn't necessarily with the National Anthem, but it was done with the White House. It was, yeah. you know, with the, you know, wearing, uh, I forgot what they called the all those up. He was wearing dashiki. the dashiki and he wrote yeah. a letter to Clinton talking yeah. about the list of changes and reprimands that he wanted to see in African-American communities. Right. In the midst of when the Bulls were traveling to celebrate back-to-back championships. Exactly. Yeah. So, and, you know, that's all she wrote after that. You didn't see him in the league, you know, and he's always been someone who has still, to this day, been very been an activist, been very vocal about the things going on uh, in, in African-American uh, communities and things of that sort. And we've had the I've had the pleasure of interviewing him and talking to him right. um, about those things, uh, and and as well as how the movement has gone within the NBA. So I th- I feel like since Ahmad Abdul Roof had his his time to shine, all right, now it's time to add Craig Hodges to the list because he went through similar circumstances within his own way that could be cor- that could be relative to what we just witnessed in Abdul Ahmad Abdul Roof's documentary itself so that's what came to my mind i wonder if craig Hodge is gonna have his chance but i'm also glad that they that steph curry was in this original documentary film acknowledging and praising ahmad uh abdul roof for what he brought to the table and it helped, in a lot of ways created a blueprint and paving the way for steph curry to be the steph curry he is now oh indeed and not just for steph curry but for a lot of these guys and as you know you know being a former player yourself and being around coaches of all levels be it pro be it college be it high school there was a time when if you played the way in which Mahmoud Abdul Raouf played where if you if you did some of the stuff he was doing in the game and you weren't hitting those shots on a regular basis you were getting subbed subbed or you was getting chastised for it even if you were talented as much as he was incapable yep. of going off and pulling up from 30 or whatnot like that, that style of play was not always accepted. You had to go to certain places in order to witness stuff like that, such as a pro-am, you yes. know, you, and you hear the legends 
from OGs and, and folklore and stuff like that. But you really had to see that in the summer in a gym with like no AC or whatever. Whereas now that's been bought to these NBA arenas through the likes of a Steph Curry, who as a result has transformed the league with it to where you have guys who play the same position as him night in and night out, jacking up seven to 10 threes a game. He, you know, but you have forefathers to that movement. And, I, and I'm glad that you brought that up. And I wasn't surprised that Steph was in it because Steph being the son of a former NBA player in Dale Curry, yeah. who yeah. competed against Mahmoud Abdul-Rule, he respects the history of the game. And Most when definitely. you come up in these NBA locker rooms and you see these figures, it's, it's not hard. You know, and, and Steph was also in the Bill Russell documentary as well. So yeah. he, he's been getting this TV time and rightfully so. And he's a guy that is very educated on his history of the game. And it's not hard to see why he's become arguably one of the greatest in his generation. When you think about all of this and you put it in the context the way that you do, Josh. Most definitely, man. It's, it's special. It's very special to witness. And the fact that we've been able to do that you know, like I said, I, I I just hope that Craig Hodges does get his time because he sure. went through a lot of he got a, he went through a lot of scrutiny just like Ahmad Abdul Rove did, and the fact that the NBA is even moving towards this, you know, social justice movement in the professional realms that was not that was abnormal, and in the earlier eras, and that is something that, um, um you know, Ahmad Abdul Roof helped start. And was one of the main front runners, but right behind him was Craig Hodges. So it's so I, I just want to make sure he gets the respect he deserves as well for this. If he you should. Were to sit here and talk about the documentaries of Ahmad Abdul Rof, which is well deserving, it's honestly, honestly long overdue. Okay, so we got him. Now let's get Craig. And that's if, and that's honestly if he wants to, if he wants to do it too, because Craig, you know, Craig Hodges is it, that's, that's his choice. But if someone wants to do a documentary on him, they should do it. Just like they did a model roofs rose with Showtime. It's some something has to be done to highlight the impact Craig Hodges also brought to the league as well. I agree. And for those who are not familiar with Craig Hodges' story, you can actually check out an interview that he did on Vlad TV about a decade ago. It was an extensive interview where he spoke on many things for over mm -hmm. an hour and a half. And you know, we talk about the the letter that he wrote to Bill Clinton and pulling up to the White House in the dashiki. But like he was trying to actually get Magic Johnson and Michael Jordan to boycott the 1991 NBA Finals in the wake of all of the events that had transpired in Los Angeles surrounding the beating of Rodney King. You know, right. so he, he he's definitely about that. And, and, and is a big activist and was raised by activists. And for those who know him, if you're in the Illinois area and you came up around Park Forest, those people will tell you about how Craig Hodges gets down and his family has gotten down with, with social justice for years. And that how that didn't come to anyone's surprise that knew him prior to him reaching NBA stardom and becoming a three-point shootout champion. But I want to move on from the discussion of top things to catch our eyes and the talking about the man known as the king in most circles. As LeBron James surpassed former Lakers center and legend Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is the NBA's all-time scoring leader last week 
with the captain on hand to witness the feat when it took place last week against the Oklahoma City Thunder out in Los Angeles, knocking down a mid-range fadeaway jumper in the latter part of the third quarter during the contest to seal the deal. Josh, what's your overall thoughts on this achievement? And what do you believe that it means for LeBron's legacy in the game when compared to his peers? I mean, this solidifies his status as un, un, unguardably, you know, or arguably top two in the in in in, in the go in the conversation, and as far as the best ever. That's you can. He's already going to be on the on the on the Mount Rushmore of basketball, but this just adds another layer to the cake. Because I mean, this is something that's going to continue, and you know, it may may take another thirty some years to change. You know, to to beat again. This is it took that long for someone to like LeBron to come come up the ranks to not just only accomplishment accomplish this in the way that he did it, but to do it for 20 straight years. All the games he's played, not missing a lot of games, the durability that comes with it, the yeah. the uh to be able to play at such a high level, regardless of playing style, and the way that he is. Like we talk about how he's the he's gonna be going, he's gonna go down for sure as the most well-rounded player in the world. The dude is not only the top score in the league now he's top five he's top 10 in assists he's gonna eventually be tops in rebounds like that's gonna that's something that's unheard of nowadays so you know if anything that it just continues to further the and further improve the debate of being a goat but to be honest with you the first thing that really came to my mind when i watched that i wish kobe was there because we talk about the laker history Lakers all about winning championships. LeBron got him a championship. When you talk about making achieving uh, making the accomplishments and who's all there, Magic Johnson was there. Kareem was there. James Worthy was there. You see, Green was there. The Laker legends that helped bring championships to this franchise. And the fact that LeBron was able to do this as a Laker, he passed Kobe as a Laker. Like that type of stuff is where I wish that Laker legend that is the most ideal Laker legend for this generation, this current generation outside of LeBron. I wish he was there to witness this history because especially since he wasn't in Philadelphia when, you know, LeBron broke his record and he was gone. Yeah, when he passed him up. Yeah. And he was gone the next day. Like that type of stuff. I wish Kobe was able to sit there and witness and just enjoy the fact that another Laker, a brother of his, which grew development-wise to being good friends, to get to this point for LeBron James himself. You're talking about his impact since the 2008, 2008 Olympics that go all the way up to now. Like, that's a lot of wisdom. That's a lot of growth, knowledge. That was passed on, and I wish he was able to. I wish Kobe was able to sit there and witness this, witness the greatness that he helped put in LeBron James. Because when we talk about LeBron James, yeah, we talk about his greatness, how he got from point A to point, you know, get, get to where he is now, winning the championship with the guys that he did, etc. But people really forget the real transformation of LeBron James started in that 08 Olympics. It started with that Redeem team, and it started with Kobe Bryant. And it transferred all the way through the, the, the Heatles era on down. So 
I just wish Kobe was there to witness it from the multiple reasons why. But that's really one of the things that came to my mind because Kobe already missed one big accomplishment with LeBron James and, we ne- and he never got to see uh, the world again the next day. I just wish he was alive to see this and acknowledge, and it'll be, especially since you're talking about Laker Nation, baby. Like that's, Kobe is LA. He is Laker Nation. You know, there's Magic and then there's Kobe, <laughs> you know? So I just wish, you know, he was there to witness all of that in Staples Arena, not crypto.com. But that's another story. Uh, but it was very, it was an, a heck of a um, accomplishment to witness for our generation. Basketball fans moving, you know, moving forward and for generations to come to tell our our, our, our young kids down there and future families down the line that, yo, we witnessed a lot of history within our timeline. And this is one of the things that we could put at the top of the list. Yeah, you know, it, it's unfortunate that, that Kobe couldn't be here in the physical flesh, but I do believe that he yeah. was smiling down, looking over it for sure. Yeah. And yeah, you know, we we definitely miss Kobe and, and for we'll forever miss Kobe. But my initial thoughts on LeBron's achievement, man, is just how remarkable it was to see. And it kind of took me back to when I was 10 years old and I was watching this dude get drafted. Took me back to the time when I was a nine-year-old and my late grandfather was reading the newspaper in the Chicago Sun-Times. And he was pointing to this young black man in Akron, Ohio, in front of a Hummer saying that they say that this kid is going to be the next great basketball player. Have you seen him play? What you think about him? And then getting a chance to watch him play. And then seeing that the height was warranted. You watch him get drafted, number one, spend his first several years in Cleveland, taking that franchise to heights that it had never been prior Mm -hmm. to him. And continuing to set the bar forward challenging the way that fans not only just fans but players thought about the business of the nba and to see him accomplish what he did it shows not only his greatness but how we have to respect longevity in the game i don't care who you think is the greatest of all time men i don't care if you think michael's better you have to respect this because this was a record that so many people thought could never be broken. Yep. You heard Magic Johnson say it in the hours leading up to the game. I never thought that this record would be touched. And to see it all come full circle with a kid that's now become a man who was born in 1984, the same year, by the way, in which Kareem Abdul Jabbar broke Wilt's record and became Mm. the NBA's all-time leading scorer. And to do it 38 years later. That's beautiful. That's poetic. And it just goes to show you how his greatness continues to stand the test of time in LeBron James. To be able to do this for 20 years It shows his commitment. It shows his dedication to the game. And I think we all owe him a huge thank you because we don't think about the sacrifices that go into breaking records like these. We don't think about the countless hours 
They go into training year after year after year. And this is a guy who we have seen in the finals for pretty much every year from the 2010s decade on with the exception of a few. Yep. And we take this for granted. And like you said with Kobe, how when he surpassed Kobe, we thought that he would be able to see this. However, we soon found out that tomorrow is never promised. Well, we need to cherish memories like these when we see them, especially while we alive in the flesh, because it ain't every day you can say that you've been able to follow someone in sports for over 20 plus years, no matter where you stand as a fan, as a beat writer, as a front office executive, as a player, and still see this guy at the top of his game and putting up numbers, even better numbers than what he did his rookie year. And if you've ever had a chance to watch him play live, cherish it. Because yeah. I had. I've caught him once. I caught him during his rookie year. And to be able to say that I've seen a Michael Jordan in his prime and a LeBron James in his prime is something that I don't take for granted. And what I think it means for his overall legacy in the game is that it's undisputed. We're talking about a guy who is on the verge of scoring 40,000 plus points to go alongside of 10,000 plus rebounds and over 10,000 plus assists. That is a career triple double. Yeah. Most players don't get 10,000 assists. Most players don't get over 10,000 plus rebounds. And to be able to say when it's all said and done that he will be in the top five all time and not only just points, but assists, and then among the top 10 in rebounds. Man, he did it all. And for a guy who so many people wanted to compare to Magic Johnson, which I always felt was disrespectful because of his passing ability. And they wanted to say, well, he's not really a scorer. No, he's a scorer. He just was an all-around player. And we overlooked his ability to score. Now you can't do it because he's the new scoring king of the NBA and he deserves to be lauded and, and adored for it because you may never see this record get broken. Or if you do, you might not live to see it. So it, it's a remarkable accomplishment. And it's an accomplishment that deserves to be talked about and, and, and highly lauded because this was a record that so many of us didn't see being broken. And I'm pretty sure he never envisioned himself breaking. And he even alluded to that in his interview with ESPN with Dave McManaman leading up to him breaking it. Right. No, they're all, they're all, you hit it all, you hit the nail in the coffin, brother. I ain't got nothing else really to say. Except, <laughs> you know, you know, it, you know, great. We have to really appreciate greatness. If 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 you did not, let's put it this way. Just, I'm just just as a basketball fan. If Kobe passing away didn't impact you on what it means to appreciate greatness, oh man, I, I don't know what to tell you. You're not a real sports guy. You're not a real sports fan. 
because this is literally something that most likely, at least for our generation at this present moment, probably won't ever happen again. Now that's if things change, things can change, game could change. It can get even easier for people to score. Who knows? But right now, the fact that, like you say, he's doing it, he LeBron James is changing the game of father time. He's, he's literally changing the, the, the direction of father time. And yeah, you can still tell father time is catching in a little bit because he can't, he's not, he can't do some of the things he used to do at the level he could. But the ability to have so much skill and to combine with whatever's left over in him from an athleticism perspective and still dominate the game in the way that he's dominated the game. It's, it's, it's incredible. You, you cannot sit here. Like you said, no matter the goat debate, no matter what it is, obviously that's obviously, that's obviously preferable based on your preference, but this dude, yeah, he's a goat. He's a goat. You cannot dispute that. You cannot dispute that he will be, he's on the Mount Rushmore basketball. And that's a very high elite class. You got to give respect where it's due, man. And to witness that with both of our eyes, whether we, we weren't at the game, but to watch, to watch it, to witness it. And like you said, to even see him play, like that's huge. That's huge. And that's something that we cannot neglect. And it just, it just amazes me too how, some of them, some of the most biggest records that are broken, the biggest accomplishments that are taking place, they're all done by Lakers. Yeah, <laughs> all been done by Lakers. That so, is true. It, that's very, it's very interesting to, to to think about that. So for LeBron James to do this as a Laker, what other way would you want it? And to add to your point, you think about all the pressure that he came into the league with. Yeah, and for him to actually live up to it and go beyond what anybody thought. That's the most special thing about this as well, man, because it's not always guaranteed that the high school phenom is going to have instant success and never look back. For every LeBron James and a Kobe Bryant and a Kevin Garnett and a Tracy McGrady among the guys who were straight out of high school guys. You had guys who did not live up to that and no disrespect to them in any way. Right. It's not easy. It's right. not easy. And the bright lights aren't always for everybody. But he came, he saw, he conquered. And you have to tip your hat to him for doing that. And to be able to say that he's taken multiple franchises to the mountaintop of the yeah. NBA, winning rings in all of his stops thus far to date. Yeah. I think that's even more special. You know, we always commend guys for staying in a, a certain situation their entire career, and understandably so, but you have to respect that because to be able to have that much leverage and that much kahuna to say, you know what? I'm going to take my talents here and go win there. And no, I'm going to take what I learned from there and bring it back to where I once played and where I began my career and show these young guys how to do it. And then I'm going to bring 
the Laker brand back. Yeah. Which when you really look at that championship in hindsight, even in spite of it being a championship that was won in the NBA bubble in the middle of a pandemic, that's very special considering where the Lakers franchise was prior to his arrival following the retirement of Kobe Bryant. Yep. So you, you, you have to give him his kudos and his respect for that, man, because you may not see that ever again. Where yeah. a player can say that they won at every single stop in their career. That's unique. And that that's to be applauded. But since breaking the record, LeBron has missed the last three straight games due to an ankle and foot issue that, according to Chris Haynes, a bleach report has been said to be a nagging injury he's dealt with throughout the year. Lakers have lost three out of their last four games, and they currently sit two and a half games behind the Jazz for the final spot in the West play-in. You got a lot of detractors and fans following the aftermath of LeBron's accomplishment who tried to knock him for this, saying that he's only been playing the games in an effort to break the record and deem him to be selfish for sitting out when saying that he still has what it takes to guide his team to a championship from a talent standpoint. Do you believe that this criticism is warranted? No, not at all. Just for the what we talked about earlier, I brought y'all ring. Y'all couldn't win without me. <laughs> <laughs> he, he made it known. He's like, without Kobe, without Shaq, without me, y'all wasn't winning. But I brought a championship to you guys. How dare you question me and where I where I really where I really want to be when it comes to winning championships? How dare you question that? I'm a guy. Matter of fact, before I even brought y'all one, I'm a guy that went to eight straight finals. This is true. I went to eight straight finals. What makes you think I don't care about winning? I went to the finals eight times. Straight. <laughs> that hasn't been done since Bill Russell. Like, come on, man. Like, so that's what I said. Like, this this step is up. I just laugh at. <laughs> I just laugh at because it's like, come on, man. You're talking to someone who not only went to eight straight finals, but like you just met, like you just mentioned, won at every stop that he's been on, including Los Angeles. He brought a ring to the Lakers. Come on now. For you to question that, he should sit out the rest of the season. <laughs> he should sit out the rest of the season. Lakers are barely in the plan right now, um, or there's at least a discussion of it, you know. At this present point, they're not guaranteed favorites to win a championship. I, I'm be honest with you. I don't know if Anthony Davis is going to be healthy for the rest of the season. He might get injured right at right after an All Star game. Um, what, what? Ron doesn't have to prove anything. He did break the record. He finally got that off his back. What else is there for him to prove? There's nothing for him to prove except what I can pr- pr- try to bring another championship to the Lakers, which the deals that they made support that somewhat in the direct in that direction for the future no need to over no need to overkill this brother if he ain't got to he's done what he's supposed to do so if he could take a few games off guess what let him take a few games off the heel of foot that quite frankly if you really think about it from a durability perspective the man never misses games if it's not a real major injury that he has to remove himself from He's playing on the court. He's durable. 
So just because he sits four games out as because of a foot injury that could get worse, you want to sit here and tell me in year 20 of him being in the league, oh, we, we got we to gotta criticize him because he don't want to win. Man, the dude had dinner with two goats for a reason. Why don't you ask him that question? Say that to his face and see what your response is going to be. Because it's going to be exactly what I'm giving you. I can give two craps. The, I brought you a title. I am in my 20th year. I'm breaking records still while giving you almost 30 a game. Please have a seat. Have several seats, fans, especially LA Nation. If y'all ever tripping about that, have several seats because the king has already spoken. <laughs> you know, I, I agree with you. But when you, you talked about how, you know, he, he only misses games if he's hurt. I know it's a section somewhere in Cleveland that can recall just like I can his first season when he went back, when he took that two week layoff after his birthday in Atlanta, <laughs> it was, it was, it was spotted out at the uh, national championship game when Ohio state Oregon was playing that, that was a moment that deserved a documentary. You talk about documentaries earlier. Right. <laughs> I need a documentary on that. Cause I'm still baffled how he took a two week vacation it was in Texas and in Miami, and then came back and put on weight, and all of a sudden uh, returned back to Braun of old that year and route the lead the Cavs to the finals. I, I I get what you're saying, though. That I do agree true. what you're saying. That is true, but man. That 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 was a that was a moment that does not deserve to be forgotten about in any way, shape, or form. And even as someone that is a LeBron fan myself, I can't help but laugh every time I think about it or someone brings it up. But I want to segue away from the conversation regarding LeBron's landmark achievement into a star who once played next to him during his second tour of duty with the Cavaliers, who goes by the name of Kyrie Irving. The seven-time All-Star guard recently made his official Mavs debut after requesting a trade and landing in Dallas over a week ago, scoring 24 points to go alongside five dimes on nine for 17 shooting from the floor to guide his new squad to a six-point win on the road up against the L.A. Clippers without Luka Doncic due to injury and followed it up with a 25-point, 10-assist night and a win against the Kings out in Sacktown. However, since the return of Luka Doncic, the Mavs have lost back-to-back contests, close contests, might I add, one of which included a 26-point explosion in the fourth quarter from Kyrie in his official home debut down in Dallas where the Mavs lost at the hands of the T-Wolves by three and failed to get a shot up on their final possession of the evening. I think Kyrie been doing this thing down in Dallas. As far as from a one-on-one isolation standpoint, he's still putting on clinics. He's still looking like all-star. No matter where he is, he seemed like he's going to find a way to make it work, whether that's playing beside Luka off of the ball or on the ball. I don't know if they have enough time to figure it out, though. I don't know. And the only reason why I kind of have concerns is honestly because of Luka. I do believe Luka's trying. I see Luka being more passive in some areas, but while he's passive and while he's playing off of the ball, Luka's going to have to go back and watch some of that tape from the conference finals against Golden State when they were sending the doubles and he had to get rid of the ball and, as a result, find different ways to score, such as moving without the ball, cutting to the rim. That's what we got to see more of from Luka, 
as opposed to being a little bit more overpassive. I do believe he's trying to make it work and wants to make it work, but I don't know if this team has enough time to figure it out. I, I do believe in Kyrie, though, and he's definitely doing his thing, but I believe they're going to have to go through some of these ups and downs like they had through their first two games together in order to really figure out how to play together. But to me, Kyrie looks very comfortable in either scenario. It's Luka that has to get more comfortable. I saw him taking some catch-and-shoot looks that were set up by Kyrie. That was positive to see. But when that ball not in your hand, you can't just sit and stand looking around. You got to make something work and happen. I agree with you, man. Um, Kyrie was never going to be the issue when you go to a new team that's set up like this. Kyrie's going to always be Kyrie. Every place he's gone to, he's been, Kyrie's been Kyrie. So that's his game's not going to change. But, yeah, I don't think they have enough time to do it. Unless, unless they hit lightning in a bottle come playoff time, which is something that can happen. True. Especially when you talk about the makeup of Dallas, we, when you talk about Luka and Kyrie, because they have both options at their disclosure. So I think it's possible, but it's like you said, it's going to take a lot more time than we think. And, and my, my worry when it comes to this situation is if it's going to take that much time to gel and finally get it right, do they think, do they have enough firepower to keep Kyrie past this season? So that way they can actually exploit the experiment that much more because you gave up a nice portion of your team to get them. And even though some of it was calorie space uh, needed, et cetera, last time I checked, you haven't had a really, really big free agent come to your franchise willingly in Dallas in a nice long time. So you got to make this work with Kyrie, which means you better hope within these last games after all-star break, this thing clicks because it's not a guarantee he's staying here for at least another year to at least figure things out. It's not like the Bulls where you got a core together that you sign for two or three years at least extra so you can figure out what you have. Dallas really only has, what, another 20-something games? Yeah. And then that's it. You're in playoff mode. It's playoff time. So, I don't I, like you said, I think it's more on Luka to make those changes. And I think it's going to take it's really going to take a lot longer than what they have left to get it done, but I think they can. I think they have a good chance of striking lightning in the bottle in the playoff realm. And I also believe they have the right coach to do it with, and Jason Kidd, who is an offensive-minded guy, um, and knows how to handle that point guard position. So it's possible, but I don't, but I don't think they have. I don't think they have enough time. I'm looking at the standings right now as we speak, as it is recording. If the season were to end today, Dallas would be in the fifth spot with a 31 and 28 record and nine and a half games behind first place. And they would meet up with the Phoenix Suns in round one of the playoffs. You talk about a matchup, a team that you know would be eager to see them after the way they sent Phoenix home down in the desert in game seven of the Western Conference semifinals a season ago. But man, when I when I look at or listen to what you're saying in regards to Dallas, I get it. 
And this is a situation they're going to have to find a way to make work. And I believe that they can from a talent standpoint. But Luka being one of the most ball-dominant players in the NBA, it's going to be a challenge for him. And I wonder if he's just ready for that. I, I, I do. And I believe, though, even if this doesn't work, though, for Dallas, they can find an alternative. Yeah. Because best believe if Kyrie don't want to be there, they 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 set up a sign and trade. This was this this was a this is a really like they really can't. I'm not gonna say they can't lose this gamble, but either way, they know they leaving with something. Right. Whereas prior to this, you had guys under contract. You got your books cleared. So they could get a sign and trade down the road. But as, as for right now, it definitely feels like a trial experiment. And they're trying to see what they have. And it's it's kind of like shooting dice. They already got the money in the hand. Like they, 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 they doing good. You know, either way, they leaving with some money. It's not like they dead broke, but they just hoping that they come up on the seven with this. I don't know if they do, but it's damn sure going to be fun to watch if you're someone who likes offensive-oriented basketball. And I do believe that Jason Key is going to be determined to do all in his power to make it work. But the pieces around them got to come with it too. Yeah. You know, like Josh Green has been solid, but defensively, I just, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I know they're expected to, to sign Justin Holiday once he clears waivers with Houston. But man, I, I just got to see it. I got to see it. I got to see it. I, I don't know if I see it. I don't blame you, man. I'm in the same boat. And, but you're talking about a potential first round with Phoenix and Dallas. Right. You're talking about KD being healthy too. Oh gosh. That's going to be, <laughs> that's going to be a slug fest, man. That's going to be a slug fest. And that's something that, you no, know, you got to love the NBA for. You got to love the NBA, but. Yeah, if they don't get it together now, they better hope they can get it together past this if they was really looking at Kyrie being her long-term because that ain't a guarantee. And that's an experiment that you talk about Luca may not be ready for, but you also got to wonder too, is Dallas actually ready for it? Because you already built this offense around Luca, which means you know what works with him. Bringing Kyrie in, thinking it's going to work, and if it doesn't work, that can backfire and shoot your whole plan up. Because when you really think about it is, it's going to be hard to find a number two as talented and skilled as Kyrie Irving. It's going to be very hard to do. You're, you're pretty much giving, giving Luka the best of the best when it comes to backcourt back court combos and duos. So if you're telling me it doesn't work with Kyrie, I wonder who you who who you're gonna replace him with that can bring just enough so that way Luca can do his thing, but also keep the team afloat in ways that we know Kyrie can do. It, that, that's so I, I just wonder what that move would be, considering that if I'm Dallas, I try to do everything to make it work because that's the best of the best. That's the cream of the pot that you got. If I had to guess that backcourt mate next to Luca, if it wasn't to be Kyrie for the immediate future following this season, would definitely be an off-the-ball player. Yeah. A guy that's used to not having the ball in his hands. And then I'm pretty sure 
if they were to do a sign and trade with Kyrie Irving, who, as we know, we're going to continue to hear rumors about him being linked to Phoenix over the next several months. They're going to seek to try and get a big man in there because that's always been Dallas's number yeah. one weakness. Even when they had Luca with Chris Stapps for Zingas, yeah. Chris Stapps really wasn't trying to play the five over there. They always had issues at the five spot with, when it came to physicality and rim protection and a right. lack thereof. That's why a lot of people around the league was questioning Dallas's toughness during that first playoff run they made with Luca in his second season down in the bubble in Orlando. So I, I when I when I look at it, the only positive that I'm seeing right now is is that it gives Luca a guy who can shoulder the load and they could run at the point as a stagger option during the minutes in which Luca sits. And vice versa. You know, when Kyrie sit, Luka could go off and do his thing. But they got to figure out a way to make it work. You got the one of the top scorers in the first quarter in Luka with one of the top closers in Kyrie Irving. Yeah. It, 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 it will be interesting to continue to watch and, and see how it unfolds. I thought those first two games were nice, but the last two, you can tell that they still trying to find out where they like the ball and, and, and where they trust one another. Like Luca was saying in the post game remarks he made last night when they played against Minnesota that he he wishes that like in one of those possessions, last possessions that he'd have passed it to him because Kyrie really had it going and was doing his thing in isolation. But I guess we'll see. But want to move on and discuss some news that dropped just days after we learned that Zion Williamson would not be partaking in this year's All-Star game in spite of being selected as a starter in the West front court this season due to his latest injury, that he will be expected to miss a few more weeks following the All-Star break as he recently suffered a setback in his rehab from a hamstring injury. He had progressed to doing some three-on-three work on the court and was said to have aggravated it at this time, according to Pelicans president of basketball operations and executive vice president, David Griffin. Williamson hasn't played a game since January 2nd, and he's only played in a total of 29 games this season, in spite of averaging 26.7 rebounds and 4.6 assists per game on 60.8% shooting from the floor. When I heard this news, I thought about you know, our preseason discussions. I know this was your pick to know, win man. MVP, John. I know it was, understandably so, <laughs> because when healthy, he was balling. When healthy, the New Orleans Pelicans were a top three seed in the Western Conference. And this yep. was a team that we were asking ourselves in, on previous episodes of Open Run, could they go on a run in the Western Conference and possibly be a dark horse finals contender. Right. Well, they've lost 14 out of their last 21 games since he went out of the lineup, featuring a 10-game losing streak in that time span. And New Orleans now, they, they sit seventh in, in the West playing as of this recording with a 30-28 and 28 record. Now, they just got Brandon Ingram back, who mm -hmm. was dealing with a left toe contusion. He's 
starting slowly but surely to get his rhythm back a little bit. CJ McCollum, all of a sudden now starting to have some issues on the injury front. I, I don't think he even played in their most recent outing against Oklahoma City, if, if I'm not mistaken. But they've only had their big three with Zion Williamson, Brandon Ingram, and CJ McCollum available in only 10 games altogether for a total of 172 minutes this season. And in those minutes in which the Pelicans have boasted those three on the floor, they've had a plus 60 rating on a plus minus scale when their trio has been out there. So it's hard. I don't know what to make of this team, man. It is tough. And I can't help but wonder where will we be in the next 10 years in regards to looking at Zion Williamson's career? Because I got an eerie feeling that as great as he is, we talk about a two-time All-Star, as great as he is, and deservedly so with those All-Star nods. We've yet to see this dude play in at least 60 games in a regular season. And that's that's very... That's very concerning. It's getting to the point where you got to ask yourself, how many games realistically can we expect to see this guy? And if we can see him for at least 55 to 57, that would be great. But this is a team that needs to be whole in order for us to truly determine how great they can truly be. And maybe in the wake of this move, we can understand, or, or or this setback with Zion, rather, maybe we're able to understand the reason why New Orleans wasn't as aggressive as some of us might have hoped for at the trade deadline. I'll say this. Yes, we're at that time where you need to kind of question what his future is going to look like if he can't stay healthy. You got to question that. But there is a person that had a horrible injury history as well, Anthony Davis. And next thing you know, you trade him to L.A., he gets you a title. He helps you get a title. Oh, I ain't saying trade him now. I'm not uh, saying know, that I, New Orleans, ain't that, they not in that position. We know we know he's a box office star. You're right. You're, you're absolutely right. I'm not saying trade him either. I'm just yeah. saying New Orleans did have a star similar from an injury perspective. That's true. <laughs> that, you know, when, they, when he did go to a team that he had some good reinforcements around him playing against with LeBron, they did, and while he was able to stay healthy long enough to win the championship. But there's also another person that had a very horrible injury history, took a lot of time to fully get healthy and get his body back into the swing of things, and now he's a top two scorer in the NBA and back-to-back uh, final uh, MVP uh, finalist, runner-up, as a matter of fact, and Joel Embiid. That's true. They wrote him off through his first three years with his foot injuries, and they said, oh, Philadelphia was wrong. They need to move off this guy. They wasted their, they wasted their top pick on him. But now look at Joel Embiid shine now as, as arguably the best M- NBA uh, center in the league. So I say, I say all that to say this. It's a little too early to put Zion Williamson in the injury plague category, considering there's already concerns of him coming into the league with his health just like there was with Joel Embiid. So this is, this is not surprising. But the caveat to this is, when he is healthy, he is dominant. 
And you cannot replace that dominancy on a court any given night. It's hard to replace. So New Orleans is going to be stuck with this regardless. It's a matter of, can you get the right training staff to work with Zion Williamson? Get him to buy into whatever diet uh, regimens, regimens, routines, workout routines, whatever the case that he needs to get to the right fit that he needs to be in and help him maintain that. Because well, people don't also, people need to understand this as well. When you go through diet changes, body changes, workout changes, your that catches up on your body because your body's not accustomed to being at a certain size or to being at a certain muscle mass or see or being uh, uh or dealing with those things. And nine out of ten, it leads to soft tissue injuries or pulled muscle injuries, which is what Zion Williams has experienced. Yep. So Maybe Zion Williams is actually doing the right stuff. It's just his body's trying to catch up to the new, to the new, uh, you know, regime. I guess new uh, routine that he's made. His body's not accustomed to it. That's the adjustment from college going into the league. And just like Joel Embiid, it might take some time for that body to catch up. And when that body does catch up, maybe we can see a more consistent Zion Williamson from a health perspective. But I think that's where we're at with him. He's in a situation where it's very similar to Joel Embiid. He got to not just get healthy, but put his body in the right routines that brings consistency and not just strengthening his body, but keeping his body fit and strong in every aspect of the body. So that way, he's not always trying to gain weight, but not always gain bad weight. He's not always trying eating, having bad uh, food eating habits and things of that sort. He's developing the consistency and the discipline from a nutrition side as well as the weight training side so that when that body and all that stuff comes together, he can last longer. And I think that's really what it is. And that's probably why he also reaggravated it. This isn't the first time there's been, you know, speculation on New Orleans, on the New Orleans Pugs and their, and their training staff and their met and how they handle medical situations. So I think that has to be evaluated, evaluated as well. But we can't worry too much about Zion right now, considering Joel Embiid went through the same thing and he's killing it right now. At one point in time, Anthony Davis was going through the same thing. And we know when healthy, he gets you a championship ring. You know, there's, there's some upside to Zion Williamson, especially since he's really the most dominant and arguably the most dominant player New Orleans has had, even within the Anthony Davis era. Oh, w- without a doubt. And the thing that you you really have to think about is is that he's only still 22 years old. And that and that's the thing that's scary about it in a good way is that he's still young, but Yeah. New Orleans, I don't know if you're aware, but like prior to drafting him, that was one thing that David Griffin was focused on was getting a new training staff in in new orleans because he 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 pretty much like revamped it it got all the old guard out it replaced it with these new medical staffs and stuff that they have there currently in like they had they i believe they was just getting a state-of-the-art facility put in as well where they had them like on a practice court with like more cushion on it and stuff when he was training through his rehab but I, 
I get the points you making and you making a lot of points that are spot on in regards to how when you either lose weight or you're building muscle mass and he built a ton of muscle mass over the last several months after, you know, a lot of people tried to make it seem as though he was out of shape based off of what they saw with photos and whatnot going into media day a season ago, even though he didn't play a single game last season. Like you could tell the difference during the body. Like he he was cut up. So I could see how that could happen with muscle mass and stuff and you having injuries. And like you said, those soft tissue injuries are the ones you have to watch out for the most. But we all know when he's out there on the floor, you can't argue against the production. The production is all-star level worthy every single year. But what do you think this means for the Pelicans going forward, bro? Because, like, now with him set to miss a few more weeks after everyone was expecting him to be ready and back in action by all-star break, this is a team, man, whose margin for error is just extremely small. And after losing those 10 games, where they did have the toughest schedule in January, might I add. It, it couldn't have happened at a worse time for them. And they had the easiest schedule, I believe, according to opposing winning percentage, going into the second half of the season. But still, like, margin of error is just is very small for this team, especially in a West that we know improved with the additions that we saw take place and discussed and our trade deadline special just a few days ago. Yeah, it, they're in a very tough situation. You got to rely more on CJ McCollum and Brandon Ingram to take you home. You got to rely on that veteran leadership, but you also got to rely on your bench as well. And I think a move that was not discussed on our trade deadline special that fits this current conversation, they traded for Josh Richardson. Yeah. The fact that you brought in Josh Richardson, who can not only shoot the three and in his own way get his own shot, but he's a good defender. He fits your wing presence. That could be something that can, in a lot of ways, help them keep afloat in ways that Devonta Graham, even though we, even though he has emerged from, we talk about where he came from, coming from Kansas into the league and doing his thing in Charlotte to get the deal he got now in New Orleans. Josh Richardson fills voids that, quite frankly, Devontae Graham just can't, especially when we talk about from a length perspective, a size perspective um, on both ends of the floor. So they just got to coast. They got to find a way to coast. And in order to do that, I think reinforcement that Josh Richardson is going to help and step up. But I got to look at Brandon Ingram. Like, hey, bro, you back now. We go as far as you go at this present moment until Zion Williamson comes back. And I'm not questioning CJ McCollum because we know what CJ can do. He's been in moments like this before. So I'm not worried about him. It's Brandon Ingram. What you going to do now? Now that you are the main person and you're actually healthy again with the fact that there's actual playoff aspirations that are higher than what we expected last season. Like something has to give now. So I want to see how Brandon Ingram steps up because if he steps up and plays in a way that we know he can play, which is all-star caliber, shoot. New Orleans may be able to stay afloat, and you never know. Zion actually might be able to come back up these next few weeks. 
And if he does, you can ease him in knowing that Brandon Ingram is performing at such a level that it can still get you across the, at least a little bit over the hump, knowing you got CJ McCollum on the other side. Yeah, I, I definitely want to see this big three together some more because, as we know, through the first week of the season, when they was all together, they was looking like the best squad in the league. And you talk about Josh Richardson. He just recently had 10 points to go alongside of five steals, three assists, two rebounds, and two blocks in his official Pelicans debut and a win on the road against Oklahoma City. Same game in which Brandon Ingram dropped a 30 ball as well. But I, I just I, – I really want to see more of this group. But you're you right, though. If they can ease Zion into it and they can get on a little winning streak, yeah, because I, I, let's be real. This is a team that don't nobody want to see in the first round if they fully healthy. With, with a mm-hmm. Zion on the playoff stage for the first time, you know he's going to be – amped up and ready to go for that. But I want to ask you some questions real quick surrounding the Bulls. They currently on a four-game losing skid. I know you was in the building when they opened up this week against the Orlando Magic where they dropped the contest at home against them. They lost Derrick Jones Jr. in the first half for the rest of that night due to a left abductor strain. You had the pleasure, I know, of talking with Andre Drummond and Patrick Williams on behalf of the bigs during the postgame. Based on what you 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 saw at the United Center at the top of this week, has this team given up, man? Like, what's the morale in that locker room like right now? I know we haven't talked about them in a while. We did talk about them on our trade deadline special, saying that we regarded them as one of the biggest losers because of them not making any moves when there were so many needs that needed to be addressed, basically. I think you're just seeing the effects of of what that looks like. At the end of the day, you still need a point guard. And that offense looked horrible last game. It looked horrible. It did. Um, You need bench help because – at this present moment, last time I checked, Javante Green was only supposed to be out a couple of weeks. That's long. That's gone a month now. So Javante Green is not back. Derrick Jones Jr. just got just got injured, and now he's out. And you've been out without Alex Caruso. Those all those are all your energy bench players that provide defense. That was your small ball lineup. You you're you're running out of options on your bench right now. You need to boost that up. You didn't make any moves for that. Um, and on top of all of that too, Demar's been hurt. Debo's been hurt, and you can see it. He's not moving at the rate that you know that he normally can. Um, and he briefly talked about that how he's not making excuses, but he just said this hip injury that he's dealing with is something he's never felt with before, never dealt with before, and it's mm-hmm. limiting a lot of his range and motion. So he's not playing at the rate or level we know he can. And the issues still remain. They do not know they do not play the ball through Vucevic at any point in the, in the games. And when they don't, they lose every time. Vooch is a vocal point for this team because of what he provides, not just on the perimeter, but in the paint. If you want to be real honest with you, there's very few centers that can actually keep up with Vooch on the, on the defensive end. Very few that can actually guard him because he's so versatile. 
But the the beauty of Vucevic's game is he can kill you in the paint with the ability to be versatile and stretch to the three, but he doesn't always have to shoot the ball. He's a willing passer. He can move, he can, he can, you know, throw you and put you in a position for you to score. And that's what the Bulls just don't get. They just don't get it, man. And 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 you and, and when you watch it every night, it's cringeworthy because on top of all of that going on, your defensive rotations are still slow. You're on top of your defensive ro- rotations being bad, you have no effort. It was like you just you just dead out there. The reason why the Bulls even had a chance in that game yesterday was because of Dalen Terry. You put Dalen Terry, an energy guy that has been begging for minutes, and I mean begging. <laughs> for minutes and he finally gave him a chance in the game and even though he has eight even though he played eight minutes he gives your team so much energy boost on both ends of the floor to where now you start to make runs and make this game interesting so there's so many factors man there's so many factors that play into it um but i but i will say that a lot of the bulls players I guess they weren't surprised that mute that moves weren't you know that moves were ma- were not made. Um, to be honest with you, Demar Derozan spoke about. It, he said, "I don't really care. I just want a ball." <laughs> he said he trusts he trusts what they do. So um, that's the morale that you really get in the locker room right now. Um, but something has to give. Billy Donovan has cannot look at his roster and keep talking about the same things over and over and over again. And expecting insanity, where you're doing the same things and expecting different results. You can't keep doing that. And that's what the Bulls continuously to do, especially when it comes to themselves, because they shoot themselves in the foot so much. When all, if they just change and tweak things around, they could be winning games in a way that they need to win. And you mentioned uh, uh, real briefly about me talking to Patrick Williams. He's frustrated, man. He's, 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 he's frustrated because. He's not where he feels he should be. And the reality is, on the outside looking in, how can I blame him? How can you blame him? He missed his first his first year due to injury. Second year, he missed over half of the season due to wrist injury. Hasn't played. Only came back for the last few minutes, last few games of the regular season, which, which led to the playoffs. This is your first real season. Where you not only get to play consistent games with consistent minutes, but you also actually had an offseason where you didn't have to rehab. You actually got a chance to work on your game. You actually got a chance to build your body, etc. So he's playing in a huge eight ball curve right now with the fact that you got pressure on you being the number four pick of your draft. That's that's mentally draining for him. And he mentioned in the interview. Like, it's frustrating. And I'm still learning how to stay mentally in the game, how to not make these mistakes or to limit these mistakes. Or if I do make the mistakes, okay, on to the next play. Because when you think about it, he's only 21. (laughs) He's only 21. He came in – actually, I don't even know if he's 21 yet. He might be 20 still. But he came into this – into league real young as a freshman coming out of Florida State. So he's learning things that, quite frankly, you know, he hasn't had a chance to learn. And the fact that he's in this position where expectations are so high of him because of the fact that he's the fourth, fourth pick in the draft. 
and he's the first pick of the Acme era. That's a lot of pressure. And he's realizing what that looks like. But at the end of the day, he's still he's still trying to fight through. And, you know, it's 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 mounting. It's mounting on him. But and I think he'll eventually make the make the turnaround, you know, but it stuff like this takes time. And the Bulls have to figure out how much time do you really have? Because when you got Zach Levine, who's the only star player on your roster that's under 30. And everybody else is, you know, from a star perspective, from a nucleus perspective, you know, Vucevic and DeMar DeRozan being over 30, you know, this honeymoon phase that you thought was real sweet is over now. You got to figure out, you, you figured out what you got, but what are you going to do? What moves are you going to make now in the offseason, knowing that Vucevic pretty much can walk, scapegoat for free, and DeMar DeRozan is going to be seeking an extension. These are things that the Bulls that have to answer. But then, at the end of the day, you really don't know what that's going to look like because there's no direction with this with this franchise. That you just that you just don't have a sense of where they're really going. Even though they say this is what they're doing and they're living up to it, but the plan just just, just seems non-existent right now. And you talk about DeRozan being interested in an extension, possibly. Hell, if Vucevic walked, he probably wouldn't be interested in an extension. And I'll tell you why, because one of the biggest components to him coming to Chicago, and he's said it in podcasts the past, when he was talking, you know, with J.J. Reddick on the old man in the three mm-hmm. prior to the start of the season, that one of the main reasons why he came to Chicago was to play alongside Nikola Vucevic, who he happens to share the same alma mater with, is former USC Trojans. Yeah. So that's something to, to watch out for. And then, you know, you bring up Patrick Williams, who I think, in spite of his inconsistencies, has started to come along and yes. show some, you know, positive promise, especially in the month of January. I thought that was his best month of his pro career to date, if you want, yep. want me to be 100 with you. But it's hard not to be frustrated when you are starting to build patterns of success and formulas of how to make your mark or carve your niche in the league. And then you in Brooklyn on the road and you have your minutes cut short. Like I understand why he's a little PO, whether he's a 21 year old for like he is, or even a vet when you consider all of these injuries that have hit the Bulls. And you talk mm-hmm. about how they've lost their edge as a result on a defensive end and end of the floor, which is you also said they've been a step too slow when it comes to operating on their rotations. Yeah, I noticed that too. Because I had the privilege of checking out a game a couple weeks ago when they played the LA Clippers. and. They was up by 19. And who were they playing through? Nikola Vucevic. Putting up monster numbers on Ivica Zubac, who didn't want to have nothing to do with him. And then mm-hmm. when they went small, it was nothing that they can do. But when they stopped playing through Vucevic and they put the second unit in, Clippers went on a run, Yep, got back in the game, rest is history. And this is a team that, as we know, has not learned 
how to play together in clutch minutes and don't really know how to play together in clutch minutes because they don't really have a half-court offense without DeMar DeRozan initiating the actions. So I don't know what to make of them. There's still a half a game out for the final spot in the Eastern Conference playing, but boy, do they have some work to do. But I want to push the show along from the discussion on the Bulls to talking about the latest to transpire on the NBA's buyout market. According to ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski, Dwayne Detman is now a member of the Philadelphia 76ers for the rest of the season in an effort to provide the Eastern Conference squad with additional depth at the five following a trade that sent him from the Miami Heat to the San Antonio Spurs, who he was waived by prior to signing with Philadelphia on a bio market. Justin Holliday, as we mentioned earlier, is now expected to sign with the Dallas Mavs after agreeing to a buyout with the Houston Rockets. Three-time NBA champ and veteran forward Danny Green is expected to sign a one-year, $2 million deal to return to the team where his career all began as the 35-year-old is expected to sign with the Cavaliers after being part of that three-team trade between the Houston Rockets, L.A. Clippers, and Memphis Grizzlies, and Terrence Ross, who was expected to sign with the Dallas Mavs after being waived by the Orlando Magic, is now being reported to sign with the Phoenix Suns after being heavily pursued by new owner Matt Isbia and head coach Monty Williams in an effort to provide some additional depth on the wings and quality shooting from beyond the arc. L.A. Clippers point guard, former L.A. Clippers point guard Reggie Jackson, who was dealt to the Charlotte Hornets last week, received a buyout of his own, and he's expected to sign with the Denver Nuggets once it is officially completed, according to Sham Sharani of the Athletic. We got a lot of players on this buyout market, Josh, and we didn't even get a chance to discuss this on the trade deadline special episode Mm -hmm. that we did a week ago. John Wall, Will Barton, Patrick Beverly. It's also a couple of all-stars rumored to possibly be bought out of their contract, such as Russell Westbrook, Derrick Rose, and Westbrook, who was traded to Utah as a part of that three-team deal between the Jazz, the Lakers, and the Timberwolves. He's been in talks with Utah about trying to make it work, but they're basically letting him know, like, look, we're going to give the minutes to the young guys, and if you want to come, cool but you need to understand and know that like you may not be our first priority so we'll give you a buyout if that's what you want and request but if you want to come here you can but it's looking like that's gonna go in like a little deep to a couple weeks from now like he may not sign with a team until after the all-star break according to report we know that the bulls have been in on them according to Woj, they the favorite to land them we know that the miami heat on him. We know Paul George that made it better be known too that hey, he mm-hmm. wouldn't mind them coming across the hall of the crypto.com arena over to the Clippers locker room. Among the players that are available as of this time on the buyout market are rumored to be bought out. Which teams could you see the following players that I just mentioned being spectacular fits on right away? Man. Um, I will say this. I think if Derrick Rose gets bought out, he's coming home. I think he's coming I've seen home. that reported too. That could be it. That could be a possibility. They do need a point guard. 
we we do and i'm not gonna lie if i gotta choose between derrick rose and russell westbrook right now i'm going with derrick rose that's just, I'm, I'm just i'm going with d rose because i see why the bulls will be interested in russ it's mainly man that's really mainly billy donovan uh billy donovan coached russell westbrook's best year his mvp year post kevin durant he knows what you know he brings to the table and the reality is he brings a toughness to this team that we don't that they, they just don't have and i think he'll be intrigued with the idea of playing with zach levine and demar Derozan, knowing that you also got Vucevic as your center so i think that can i think so i can see russ the idea of the Bulls trying to make it work and getting Russ to come here. However, when you talk about his skill set, when you talk about his MO, you're talking about pairing Russell Westbrook with DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine, two other ball handlers that are very ball dominant. And even though Zach Levine is the better facilitator out of the group, or can be the better facilitator from this, from a Bulls perspective, Russ will truly have to be a traditional point guard for this to work. That's not Russ's MO. So I don't think from a skill set perspective, this is a good fit. But it does fill a void that, you know what, with 20 games left in the season and you're a half game for the playoff in the play-in tournament, I'll take the risk too. Because you know you can, because you know what the possibility is that you can get out of Russ, knowing that Billy Donovan is really the only coach to actually coach Russ to the highest level of his capabilities. So I can see it, but I think Derrick Rose will be a better fit because he doesn't have to play a lot of minutes. You can still have I.O. run the show. However, with Derrick Rose being the pure point guard that he is and how he's transitioned from not having to be the guy, but still being able to give you 15, 20 a game when necessary, shoot the ball relatively well, and has learned to play off the ball. I think that can actually be beneficial to the Bulls, as well as bringing veteran leadership that, quite frankly, is being non-existent in this franchise's locker room. I think that will be key for them as well. So I see Derrick Rose hopefully going to the Bulls instead of Russ. But if Russ goes to the Bulls, I won't be too mad. I won't be too mad. Um... Talk about other guys like John Wall or Patrick Beverly. I'm be honest with you. For a rental, don't be surprised if Phoenix calls him up. You already got Terrence Ross over there. They need a backup point guard. Won't be surprised if John Wall or Patrick Beverly gets that call, especially when you talk about playoffs, where you know Patrick Beverly is a disruptor. He, he, and, he and he's very good on the defensive end. I, I would not be surprised if they if they give him a call and say, hey, come on and be the disruptor that we need for the players we got to play against in the West, against the Kyrie Irvings, against the Luka Doncic's, Doncic's and, and those others. We need a disruptor. Come on through. I would not be surprised if that happens. Um, talk about all the, you know, Will Barton, those guys that, that, that that's being there. I would love to see Will Barton on, some, on the contender, especially in the West. I would love to see him go back out West. Um, Quite frankly, even though the Denver Nuggets upgraded, they kind of, they could use another Will Barton on that bench too. 
they can definitely use him on that bench. So I wouldn't be surprised if he takes a one, a, a, another buyout market deal and maybe goes back to Denver. But there's so many um, places where these guys can go through, man, that quite frankly, these championship contenders really can use. And I think it's very possible that especially teams like Phoenix, where they really see themselves jumping the loop now, now that you got Kevin Durant there, you know, I could, I, I could, I could see a team like that or the Clippers being that much more aggressive, trying to figure out how to fill their voids. You know, I could, I could see those type of players making, making those type of leaps, but the biggest buyers in this market is probably going to be, you know, the teams that, that we just mentioned, Phoenix Suns, Bulls, um, I would not be surprised if Denver's in that category as well as they're trying to retool and add more depth to their roster. Um, I would not be surprised if when you when you look at the when you look at these teams and their standings right now, I wouldn't be surprised if uh Golden State makes a move. I would not be surprised if Golden State gets a move or goes after like a Will Barton. They can help on the offensive end when you don't have to play clay on those back-to-backs. Um, he could be he'll be great on in that second unit for them. Um, yeah, I think I just I just feel like that's a, I feel like those are the main teams that really need that really are looking to make those extra jumps, trying to be championship contenders, and um, their skill sets can make the most sense in those areas. You bring up Will Barton, Will Barton, I think, gonna have a few suitors. Yeah, you talked about. Going back to Denver, that would be a nice story, but like Dallas need wing depth, especially yeah. after losing a guy like Doe, Dorian Finney Smith to the Brooklyn Nets as part of that Kyrie Irving trade. They they could use a guy like Will Barton for certain. It, Jerry Reinsdorf, man, either way, if he if he get Russell Westbrook or Derrick Rose. Man, you know how many tickets this dude gonna sell? Especially <laughs> Derrick Rose, man. That'll be the yeah. ultimate PR move. He know he gonna get everybody in the city of Chicago and their mother to come watch Derrick Rose. That that would be a hell of a story. I don't know if he's open to it, but I can see it solely because they do need a point guard and the, the hometown connection. I get it. You know, the fact that they got a chance to get in the play in. You want some playoff money, some revenue at the gate. Yeah, Derrick Rose could be a, a nice option. Russell Westbrook, too, for the final 2025 games. And you brought up DeMar DeRozan, who he happens to share a relationship with, them two guys yeah. being L.A. guys. Yeah, I, I, that's a possibility. I personally would prefer to see Russell go to Miami. Mm. They're in need of a point guard just as bad as the Bulls are. With, yeah. especially with Kyle Lowry being out of commission. Yep. And he really fits, as much as I hate to use this word because it's so overused in, in South Beach and just social hood, period. He fit the coach over there. He really yeah. do. <laughs> he do. really does. You know, when, do. when you think about the, the guys that they that they like, he, he fits it. He fits it perfectly. And I could see him going there if he doesn't come to the Bulls. I yeah. always felt like at best, Russell would only have maybe three fits in regards to teams that he could go to. One of the teams I felt like he could have fit well, knowing that D'Lo was on a trading block as far back as several months ago, was Minnesota. 
But unfortunately, yeah. they wanted a true point guard, a traditional point guard in a sense with Mike Conley Jr., which I understand. But Russell, I'm looking at either Miami or here in Chicago with the Bulls. Derrick Rose, yeah, he come to the Bulls. But then at the same time, like, he may be able to get some backup minutes as a guard in Dallas. Or if he were to get bought out, as much as Bulls fans may not want to hear this, and he really wanted to go after a ring, he'd go to Milwaukee. He so could. He you so know, he, could. He, he he go to Milwaukee. It's John Wall. I like what you, you bring up when you say Phoenix. That's definitely a, a team that could use a backup point guard. You consider the, the North Carolina ties that he has with Chris Paul. I could see a vet like Chris Paul maybe pushing the Suns front office to go in that direction. Patrick Beverly, I don't, I really don't know. I don't know. I, I know you have some suitors. I know you have some suitors. I could see maybe a reunion with the Clippers. They say that the Clippers aren't really looking for a traditional point guard and that they're looking more so for a two-way guard. Well, he is a guy that defends well. Mm -hmm. He's a guy that could knock down, catch and shoot three-pointers. He knows the guys in that locker room. He's been in the trenches with them. PG, Claw, and, and, and so forth. Zubach, you know, they got to Western Conference Finals a couple of years ago. That might be in the cards, but I, I don't know what his marketing tells, but I do believe he'll find a home. But, yeah, Will Barton, to me, and Russ, they'll have at least three or more suitors. John Wall, Patrick Beverly, Derrick Rose, their market will depend on, I think, what those two do. Russell, I believe, is going to take his time. I wouldn't be shocked if Russell decided to wait it out until like the end of this month to sign somewhere. Cause this is a big decision for him. Oh yeah. Most definitely. Uh, I could definitely see that taking place, man. But this, this bios market is so robust and I think it ends in what March, March um, 1st. Yeah. Deadline is March 1st. So, um, and I think, we can, I think we may actually see some more buyouts take place that are unexpected too. Exactly. Um, you know that because I won't let's put it this way. They say Kevin Love ain't on the market. I think he on the market. Um, I won't be surprised if he if he becomes available. If he becomes available, imagine him pairing up with a team like a Dallas, come off the bench to replace Christian Wood, being that pick and pop situation with Luka Doncic or Kyrie Irving in that second unit. I don't know, you know what I mean? Like it's 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 that's a it's an interesting uh realm to see, you know. You you just don't you just never know. Um, I wouldn't even be surprised if even within the buyout market, they if Kevin Love even goes to LA. Bron was good, was good. Bron, I'll come off the bench to play behind Anthony Davis. You lost Thomas Bryant, so he can fill he can fill that five void and prevent Anthony Davis from playing the five. Why not? Um, you know, so it's just it's it's some opportunities out there that I just think it's real early in the game. And we, and you know, with as the, the the buyout market deadline approaches within these next couple of weeks, especially after All Star Weekend, let's believe somebody chirping. They always chirping at All Star Weekend, man. So For I sure. wouldn't be surprised if they chirping at if some of those players are chirping at All Star Weekend. And say, hey, come over here. We'll get you a vet minimum play over here, and you know that could come out of that too. So 
it's definitely gonna be it's definitely gonna be something interesting to see. And with that trade deadline getting pushed up over the last couple of years, that's the number one conversation that a lot of these front office executives are having when they are having all-star weekend, whether they taking part in the festivities or not, that buyout market always heat up. Mm-hmm. And then I add another name in regards to guys that could potentially get bought out. Thad Young in Ooh, Toronto. Yeah. A guy that's a do-it-all forward who can really help a couple of these contenders or teams that's trying to buy for that Larry O'Brien trophy coming in the next couple of months. So he's a guy that could get bought out. It's a ton of guys that I didn't even get into, but you're right. And if they do get bought out, that even adds more intrigue to the market as a whole, which is more robust than I can recall it being in the last few years. But I want to move on to getting into the league's premier gala, the event that we've been hyping up over the last month on open run NBA all-star weekend is on the horizon. Anthony Edwards, De'Aaron Fox and Pascal Siakam have been named by NBA commissioner Adam Silver as the official injury replacements for Stephen Curry, Kevin Durant and Zion Williamson. And Oh, by the way, all-star Saturday night participants have been revealed in the skills challenge. We got teams consisted of team. I tend Kumpo with Giannis and his brothers, leading the way team utah jordan clarkson colin sexton and walker kessler and then the rookies led by paulo banquero Jaden ivy and jabari smith jr who you got taking it in the skills challenge man Ooh, i'm honestly gonna go with the rookies okay i'm gonna go with the rookies because paulo is paulo actually has a very good vision game so he's a good pass because he's a he's a good passer. Jaden Ivey has range, so he can he can score from wherever. And Jabari uh, Smith, I forgot exactly what all entails when you talk about the festivities within the skills challenge, but I'm pretty sure he's still serviceable. He might be the first person to get his job done, so that way Paulo and Jada can do the rest. But it's all there. It's all there, and I think because they're young and they got the speed with the efficiency to do those things. I'm 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 gonna go. I'm gonna ride with the rookies, man. I'm gonna ride with the rooks. I think I'm gonna ride with Team Utah. I just like the fact that they got some some guys that got handles on their squad with Jordan Clarkson and Colin Sexton. I trust them to to take care of business. I don't know what role Walker Kessler will serve. He hasn't taken a lot of threes he's become a member of the Utah Jazz but I do remember seeing a Walker Kessler who could step out and shoot one if you needed him to when he was at Auburn so it may be that's something he'll work on in the offseason but he may have to do that in the skills challenge I don't know how they're going to have the guy set up on an obstacle course and what, what all their job will entail Right. but I, I'm going to go with Utah and then you got the three point shootout with Jason Tatum of the Boston Celtics, Kevin Herter of the Sacramento Kings Tyler Harrow of the Miami Heat, Buddy Hill of the Indiana Pacers, alongside of his teammate Tyrese Halliburton, Damian Lillard of the Portland Trail Blazers, beside his teammate Anthony Simons, and the hometown guy from the Utah Jazz, Laurie Marketing, ex-Chicago Bull. Who you got 
in a three-point shootout. For me, I'm going to go with the guy that did it a few years ago here in the city of wind. I think he's going to get him another one. Buddy Hill. Hmm. I, I I think Kevin Hurd will make, make it interesting. With this being his first time, he was long overdue for this stage anyway. It's good mm-hmm. to see him on this stage with a winning team in Sacramento who's been doing amazing things out west. But I'm going to give it to Buddy, man. I think Buddy, in this format, you know, people got to understand it's a difference between shooting in a game versus shooting off a rack. Right. I think Buddy, I think Buddy got it. See, I struggled with this one. I did struggle because there's so many good options. For sure. Um, but I was gonna go Buddy Hill, but I'm gonna do like a one A one B. So Buddy Hill is gonna be my it's gonna be he's gonna be my one A. But that one B, I'm going with Kevin Herter. I'm gonna see. I ain't mad Herter. at it. I'm I'm going with Kevin Herter because that brother got a stroke, and you can tell. <laughs> And, and and the fact that he can do it in so many ways, like he's a legit shooter, shooter, you know. So I think I think he's gonna give them, give them a lot of run for their money in that first go around. He'll be ready for this. Yeah, I, I expect Kevin Herter to put on the show. Yeah, I, I I wouldn't be shocked. He he's been long overdue for this stage. I wish Damian Lee would have got a chance to partake in it. I wish Seth Curry would have got a chance to partake in it kind of interesting that you have two guys that were in the top 10 of three-point field goal percentage with Damian Lee leading the league I believe in three-point field goal percentage not a part of it but it shall be a fun event nonetheless out in Salt Lake City and then last but not least slam dunk participants got Jericho Sims New York Knicks Mac McClung from the Philadelphia 76ers they purchased this man contract from the G League just so they give him a Sixers jersey all-star weekend, man. So you know it's a big deal for them. Trey Murphy, the third of the New Orleans Pelicans, and Kenyon Martin Jr. of the Houston Rockets. Now, we know this is the contest that, you know, every so often, I'm going to say at least every six to seven years, we might get a, a great one. But it, it, mm-hmm. it don't always live up to what it once used to. It, it's kind of hard, too. And then, you know, guys not wanting to participate in it, that's the star stars. You know, this is pretty much an event for guys that's trying to introduce themselves to the country to take part in. But who you rolling with among them four names mentioned? White man can jump. <laughs> Give me Mac McClung, man. I'm going with Mac. <laughs> okay. I, he, he, he he's is he does come off as more of an in-game dunker, but some of his in-game stuff is pretty impressive. Um, so I'm gonna go with him and and my and my consolation uh vote is gonna be uh Kenyon Martin Jr. KJ. That's gonna be my that's my consolation prize. But I'm really going with Matt McClung. Why I'm he's gonna he's gonna win it and be one of the first whites of my generation to win it. I'm trying to think of white dudes that's won the slam dunk contest since Brent Berry. That's and, that's the only one that came to my mind. And, 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 uh, that's the only one I can think about. <laughs> Brent Berry was in the warm up top with uh, the L.A. Clippers, and that's right. been almost thirty years ago. So you're right. Yeah, he will be the first one of the modern era if he pull it off. But I'm gonna go with Kenya Martin Jr. Just some of the stuff I be seeing from the games, and yeah. that's really all you have to go off of. You don't know what these guys really working on at the practice facility leading up to the events and the festivities at All-Star, but 
I'm gonna go with Kenya Martin Jr., man. His dad was a high riser. I know mm-hmm. he's a high riser. Yeah. I've seen him get all the way up and reject shots as well as throw down some monster slams. I think he's gonna use this stage as a nice coming out party and put on the show for the fans out in Utah. So I'm I'm gonna roll with him. Trey Murphy the third, I was kind of shocked to see his name and it's like he more of a shooter. Right. But hopefully, you know, he can hold his own in it, but we'll see. But before we go, I gotta ask you, because this all-star weekend, you know, ain't no games on. We know how much this weekend means. We got a chance to experience it for ourselves three years ago when it was here in Chicago. Yep. Prior to, you know, the pandemic hitting and whatnot. And your own words, bro, before we depart, like what makes this event truly special? Man, I think what makes it special is the combination of greatness on and off the court with business. I think that's what makes it special because outside of the game, you already know the game's going to be special because all the best of the best are on the court. That's a given. But it's the festivities outside of that. Discussion panels with legends and great legends. You know, the um, club scene that features, you know, celebrities of of, of all Mitchell and Ness parties. Things of that sort where you not only going to have a good time on the court, but off the court, you're going to network. You're going to have, you're going to have, you're gonna have you're gonna, you'll be able to network and meet and interact with players in ways you never got to be able to do that when you're covering them throughout the year. You know, it's a great opportunity to just actually just kick back and just do you and do it with people that you can really, truly like grow relationships with and network and build and grind and even bring some of your own people with. I think to me, that's what's more, that's what makes All-Star Weekend so great. It's not really just what happens on the court, but a lot of the stuff that can go down off the court that can really help build you up and take you to the next level whatever realm you want to do um that's what makes all-star weekend so exciting for me yeah i agree man like nba all-star weekend special just all the events and and being able to to see it firsthand in your city like we got a chance to here in chicago three years ago you absolutely right man like all the stuff that was going on, get the chance to go to like these panels, check out a pie here and there, mm-hmm. check out exclusive interviews, seeing the behind the scenes of how some of these productions are cooked up, yeah. you know, live in front of your face. It, it's definitely special. It's special for sure. And I, I hope the fans that are out in Salt Lake City and the business people, they get a chance to enjoy it. It typically ain't where we would expect it to be, especially Black History Month, because everybody know, like, All-Star Weekend, one of the most highly, like, anticipated weekends mm-hmm. when the new year hit. It's yeah. like sporting events go for us as Black folks, but you can catch all the action for yourself from All-Star Saturday night on Saturday, February 18th at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time on TNT. Definitely want to thank everybody and show love to everyone who took out the time to listen to yet another edition of Open Run presented to you by none other than War Media. Make sure to check out all of our great shows on the War Media platform, such as the Ed Bat Podcast with our man Saul Rodriguez and Miles Porter. All the football coverage that we got, 
all episodes of Open Run. Make sure to check out my man Josh doing big things with the bigs, covering Bulls action. For myself, Gabriel Wilkins, my man Josh Hicks beside me. So long, everybody.